Welcome to Metaphysical Soul Speak. I'm your host, Elena Fox-Starks. Hey guys, I hope you're doing well. Whenever and wherever you are, when you receive the message of this recording, (laughs) of this podcast. So, it's uh, day three (laughs) since the riots began and the demonstrations and the protests and the strikes here in Ecuador, but in Cuenca, things got to be quite a bit more normal. And it was really weird because I woke up in the morning and the sky was bright blue with puffy white clouds. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I I opened up my curtain and I immediately started snapping pictures. And one of the pictures I got was a cloud I I got a couple seconds after it was perfect so it's still kind of blobby looking but this cloud was shaped like a heart and a star melded together so it was like the four like the two bottom um, points of a star and then there was like the two arms that go out So it was like four points of the star instead of the fifth point at the top. It was like the shape of a heart and it was perfectly outlined. I mean, it was like, I was like, what the heck? I can't believe I just saw what I saw. That was so, so trippy. And there were buses running and, you know, city buses as well as a tourist buses And also the taxis were running. Thank God. Thank God. It just, I I didn't feel good enough to go out shopping today. I felt a little bit under the weather. And then in the afternoon, I thought, well, maybe I'll go. And then all of a sudden, the rain came and it just poured and poured and poured. Heavy, hard-hitting rain. And the smell of ozone was everywhere. And I realized that this rain was a renewal and had the energy of rejoicing in it. It was such a beautiful energy that I stood with the window open and the rain was going on my face, hitting me in the face. And I just meditated and prayed and I breathed in that good ozone energy and it has negative ions in it. I don't know if you know that, that really strange smell when, when it rains and it's so energetic, at least for me. And I love, 
I mean, when it rains, I get super jazzed, <laughs> but there's no way I want to go out in it, like, and be fully soaked and risking sick and all that. But it had the energy of cleansing the earth, and I loved that. And then right after it started, about two hours after it started, and it just was like kind of nonstop, like it would it'd be heavy and then light, then heavy and the light, and then light, the way that rain does. But or the rain, the way that rain goes, I guess. And all of a sudden, this misty energy, this fog, and like clouds started rolling down the mountains, down the hills, into my neighborhood, and everything was fully misty. And then the mist itself turned a sepia brown, and everything looked old-fashioned. And then everything turned pink. And it had the energy of cleansing and forgiveness and joy in that. And then it was um, kind of a peachy color and then just golden, like the sepia golden. And then it went into the blues and the purples and then it just turned dark. And after it turned dark, it was the sky itself was this bright hot pink just like um, it was during the day when it was all misty and pink. It was absolutely beautiful. I, I just, it was crazy. And I was watching today, I watched Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them on Netflix. It just came out on Netflix um, yesterday. And I haven't, had never seen it. And I was very interested in seeing that. I haven't read the book. I read all the Harry Potter books, but I haven't read this one because I've been traveling, you know, when that came out and when that was in the movie theaters here, it was all in Spanish and I don't know why they didn't do subtitles. I was really upset that there was nothing, you know, there was not one time slot where it was in English with the subtitles, you know. And I used to go to the movies every week here. It was It's only $5 to get into the movies. And so I would take the kids. And um, that's when both my kids were here. And, and we the three of us would go out to the movies. Or sometimes my oldest and I would go out to the movies. And sometimes we would take their friend. So, you know, $20 for four people to go. I mean, I think I went, went to the movies in Detroit. It was like $12 or $15 per person. So... I mean, I'm thinking $5, that's a good deal. But, you know, I, I understand Spanish, you know, more or less, mas o menos, but I don't want to pay $5 for a movie that I might not understand and is the first thing. But the second thing is, you know, to hear Brad Pitt speak with a North Mexican accent, just, it just kind of hocks me off, you know? <laughs> you know, it's just like... You know, or any actor, it doesn't matter, Will Smith or, or Johnny Depp. I mean, you know, these guys have very distinctive voices and the inflection and the tonality and the way that they speak, it's important, you know, it's a part of the acting itself. And then when they have somebody speaking from another country for them and trying to act, it's just, it's never... It doesn't quite match up. It doesn't really 
the inflection and the intensity and drama of the moment isn't always matching what the original actor intended and and also the words that they say in Spanish aren't always the words that they use in English I've noticed that again and again you know and then you look at the original script and it's like you know you don't know if the actor went off script and then the uh, then the the secondary actors reading the script and it just a lot of times it just changes it changes the meaning and it changes it in a lot of ways and so I don't want to pay, you know, $3.50 for the taxi each way and $5 to get in to not understand it and also not hear the original actors acting, you know. So it's like one drawback from living in South America. And so I live in an apartment that's fully furnished. I've got my 55-inch TV that came with the apartment, and it's awesome because when these amazing movies like the Grindelwald movies and the Fantastic Beasts type movies come, when they come on Netflix, I just, oh, I get so excited. It's like, it's amazing. It's almost like having my own little movie theater in my apartment. And so instead of going to the grocery store like a responsible person, I actually stayed home. And I watched Rumor Has It with Jennifer Aniston, which I've seen before. But I love that movie. It's hilarious and pretty cool. Pretty cool story. Really good writing. And then I saw, you know, Fantastic Beasts. So that was pretty cool. So, um, and then every few minutes I'd pause and go and run and look out the window at the amazing cloudery <laughs> the cloud menagerie that's outside it's it's so cool here but um yeah my throat is hurting i'm a little bit sick a little bit under the weather it could have something to do with i put a rock in the window to keep it open so that i could take pictures and then i just left it because it felt nice to have the breeze yesterday I forgot it all night, so my apartment got kind of cold and misty. I mean, the mist and the rain was coming in to the third bedroom, and today I went to shut the window, and I guess the wind had blown pretty hard in the in the window. Um, the uh, metal that holds the window into the window hole, I don't know what it's called, but anyway it got a little bit stretched. The metal itself was cheap and it got stretched. (laughs) Now I can't close my window at all. And so I don't know. I've, I think I'm just going to use muscle power and bend it back, but I tried it a little bit and I bent it a little bit, but still didn't work. So I might have my kid do it, but (laughs) Uh, there's, this is a really cheaply made apartment building and we have weird little problems like that crop up every now and again. And they keep shutting the water off to fix the pipes. And hopefully that problem is done. But that's happened about six or seven times in a year. And every time they shut the water off, sometimes it's up to three days without water. And so mold grows in all of the pipes. 
and obviously that's not good. <laughs> so I don't know. It's just everything's like super cheaply made. I mean, that wouldn't have happened if they had put in copper piping instead of plastic. And I don't know. It's just crazy. This I can't wait to buy my own house and and jet out of here. Even though the landlord is a sweetheart and a good man, and he opened up a taco restaurant here, which is excellent. So every now and again, we go down there and get tacos. But I'm hoping. I could go shopping tomorrow, and it's not going to be massively rainy like today. It was one of those days you just want to stay inside and cuddle and cuddle under a blanket. And I didn't even do that, but I did have my sweater on all day, my llama sweater that I got from Lima. And wrote back and forth with my new friend who's very spiritual and he's still stuck in Machala. I mean, still some places are, there's still roadblocks outside of several cities in Ecuador. Even though it's a lot more normal here today, we had um, in parts of this province where I live, lots of roadblocks still preventing people from traveling in and out of cities. And the roads to the Quito airport have been now unblocked and the flights have now resumed there still are pockets of demonstrators and riots and protesters still but it's a lot died down i figured basically by tomorrow it'll be 100 percent throughout the country because people are going to realize come monday that well we need to go to work because we need to pay our bills and if we don't go to work we're going to get fired and that's going to defeat the purpose of everything anyway. So, <laughs> you know, it's just things always go back to normal a few days later and life goes on. <laughs> so, um, the Schumann resonance news coming out of Italy today is just the same as yesterday. They didn't update anything. And I keep trying to refresh the page and it's just like, there's no update. Not at all. So maybe they've decided just to take a little bit of a break or something. Crazy, I don't know. But with Heart Math Institute, they were on top of things. And so I'm going to read you from the six places that Heart Math um, talks about. So um, in California, they started off at 104 hertz frequency and they only went down to 103 at 4 a.m. so in four hours it only changed by one and at midnight in Hofuf, Saudi Arabia they started off at 101 and they went down to 104 by 4 and in Lithuania they started off at 188 hertz frequency at midnight and they went to 183 down only five points by 4 a.m. and in Alberta Canada they started off at 178 at midnight and they were down to 176 hertz frequency by 4 a.m. and in Northland New Zealand they started off at 63 hertz frequency at midnight and only went down to 61 by 4 a.m. So uh, in Halului, 
South Africa, they started off at 162 hertz frequency and remained exactly all the way across 162 um, for four hours, just solid, straight line, straight across. We are at 99 on the Ascension Symptom Scale in the event that you hadn't noticed the symptoms. I know early in the morning I was, I woke up for a few and I was, everything was cool. And then I had, I think it was maybe a slightly unbalanced thought and I had a little bit of a fear surrounding that thought. And then I thought, wait, I don't want to think that thought, (laughs) want to get rid of it. And as soon as I thought that thought, (laughs) my right ear started to vibrate and tingle a little bit. And then I got the tinnitus in my right ear and that lasted for about five minutes until it calmed me down. I changed my energy and my vibration changed my thought and fell back asleep even though this annoying sound is in my ear it actually calmed me down quite a bit which is weird but that was one of my symptoms today being a little bit sleepy a little bit out of it absolutely no appetite whatsoever that's another symptom I had my son came home with a bunch of potato chips (laughs) like a couple different kinds of potato chips, like four giant bags. And he got this huge bowl that we have. It's, we have this massive um, popcorn bowl. It's like for a family of four, it's massive. And he poured all these chips and mixed them up. He says, okay, these are chips. And he wanted to watch Peaky Blinders, which is his show. So we're watching Peaky Blinders and eating these chips. So I did not eat keto today. This is going to be my day off, I guess. I never have cheat days. I haven't had a cheat day in like three weeks or something, but I didn't really have the gumption to cook. I had food here. I had a really good recipe to make, and I just was like, eh. I I just, it's like I didn't have the energy. So I, I had a junk food day. It just was potato chips and a couple pieces of candy. I did have a handful of nuts and fruit and an apple earlier, so I wasn't 100% unhealthy today, but... And the candy that I had was a molasses candy, which is super excellent candy. It's, it's literally tastes like molasses, has all the minerals in it still. And they, they make it into like a taffy. I guess they heat it up and then they make it in, it looks like taffy, but it's hard, a hard candy. And then they roll, um, chopped walnuts up in it. So it's like molasses and walnuts. It's, if you're going to have a healthy candy, I guess that would be the one. And then next to that would be the healthy chocolate that they have here. But I um, I had some of that and that was it. I, I just, I, I didn't eat much. I didn't even eat a lot of chips. I just ate maybe 20 broken chips, like not even whole chips. And there were maybe like a handful of chips, not even that much. And, um... That was it. It was just like a no appetite, low energy, low appetite, just kind of a little bit feeling blah, having sore throat, which might actually be a cold coming on, but happy and energetic as far as the the energy outside 
nourished and replenished me spiritually, but physically I was still like <laughs> a little bit. Although there's, I had a couple bouts of dancing. <laughs> bouts of dancing did break out at a couple points during the day. So that was pretty cool. My friend told me today that he is a professional chef. Even though he never went to school for it, he's learned how to cook from various people. And over the course of his life, he has owned five different restaurants throughout Ecuador and in different states. So I guess it was like a chain of restaurants that he had for a while, which is really cool. And so he told me today he wants to cook for me when he gets back. I'm like, oh, I can't wait. And it just feels so nice to, and feels normal to have a friend that has all the same weirdness and spirituality. And he's always um, interested in, in the Pleiadians. And so he's always like sending me pictures of cats or or um, aliens and it's just adorable. I just, all these little emojis that he sends and the cats and stuff. And so we have all this stuff in common and it's just, it's cool. It's like I've been here waiting for two years to find someone that's like me that believes the same thing. So it's finally, finally I found someone. I'm like, yay. So maybe he'll become a good friend and that will be super awesome. Anyway, um, all right, so A Course in Miracles, ACIM.org today, from the Foundation of Inner Peace, they, um, we are still on, like, the review section, and we are on Lesson 117. So, the first part of this lesson comes from Lesson 103, which is this, God being love is also happiness. God being love is also happiness. Let me remember love is happiness and nothing else brings joy. And so I choose to entertain no substitutes for love. And the next thought of the day comes from lesson 104 and it says, I seek but what belongs to me in truth. I seek what belongs to me in truth. Love is my heritage and with it joy. These are the gifts my father gave to me. I would accept all that is mine in truth. So the main thoughts again are God being love is also happiness I seek but what belongs to me in truth so there you have it well before I get to the second part of the show tonight I'm gonna tell you guys a sweet little secret and it got me man it just got me I couldn't believe it <laughs> William Walker Atkinson was an attorney, merchant, publisher, and author, as well as an occultist and an American pioneer of the New Thought Movement. He is the author of the pseudonymous 
pseudonymous works attributed to Theron K. Dumont and Yogi Rama Sharaka. He wrote an estimated 100 books and all in the last 30 years of his life. He was born December 5th, 1862 in Baltimore, Maryland, United States. He died November 22nd in 1932 in Los Angeles and California in the United States. So why am I telling you guys this? Pray tell, Elena, why are you mentioning this now? Because he had a whole bunch of pseudonyms that he wrote under, including, oh my God, Swami Panchadasi. <laughs> William Walker Atkinson <laughs> is Swami Panchadasi. Oh my God. Because I had forgotten what year this had been written in. And I thought, well, I'm going to go ahead and look it up. So I looked up Swami Panchadasi, Clairvoyance and Occult Powers, which is the name of the book that we have been going through for the last couple weeks, every Saturday. And... I looked it up to see what year was written. And so when I looked up clairvoyance and occult powers, Swami Panchadasi, on wikipedia.org, it says, Bibliography of Atkinson, writing to Swami Panchadasi. (laughs) Oh my God, I was had and didn't even know it. And maybe you guys were had too. Maybe you didn't know this either. But... I don't know. I kind of like it. I kind of like that I was fooled. Remember, I kept saying, I think he's from India. I guess he's from India. He talks about the differences between, you know, people in India and people in the United States. And he seems to have a clear vision of what people in the U.S. are like. And he was like, in the beginning, you guys remember how he's kind of like, well, Americans are this and Americans are that. And I'm like, He's a bit opinionated for being coming from India and he wasn't really, you know, all that nice to us, but he is writing the book as if it's for the Western world, even though he's going against his Indian heritage and his Indian ways. And then, oh, (laughs) oh my God, best hoax ever. He's actually an American pretending to be an Indian disgusted with American stuff probably because he wanted to keep his he was an attorney <laughs> so he probably wanted to keep his face about him you know what i mean like he wanted to keep his uh reputation intact <laughs> protect his you know professional and moral you know virtue if you will Oh my God, we were had. We were had. Anyway, he wrote Clairvoyance and Occult Powers in 1916. So 103 years ago. And, uh, yeah, Swami Panchadasi. (laughs) Oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. 
Because usually I'll look up the author and I just felt like it was so much information. The book is like 400 pages long. It's an insane length for a book. And I kind of didn't really want to do a whole episode on just who this guy was, right? And then I read this. I'm like, I can't not tell you guys now because this is too hilarious. Because we were had, baby. <laughs> and I was wondering, you know, when I looked up Swami Panchan, well, actually, I looked up clairvoyance of and occult powers, right? Or I just looked up, maybe I looked up New Thought, and this came up. And I thought, well, I wonder what other books he's written. So I looked up his name, and this other book by um, uh, William Wal- Walker Atkinson called uh, Dynamic Thought or the Law of Vibration Energy. Or vibrant energy I thought well I'm going to have to read that one next but I thought it's kind of weird that I looked up this the good Swami from India and then this guy from the US comes up it's like what what that's weird but I'm going to bookmark it because hey I really want to read that one too <laughs> oh my god hilarious so yeah I mean William Walker Atkinson um He's promoted quite a bit by Dr. Joe Vitale. He talks a lot about this book, Dynamic Thought or the Law of Vibrant Energy, and other books. And sometimes when you order um, anything by Dr. Vitale, sometimes he'll throw in the PDF for um, books by William Walker Atkinson, which are all in the public domain. So I just thought this was hilarious. Oh my God. So I was totally had. Oh my God. I didn't do enough of my research to even know it. And I figured, well, you know, it's all I need to know is that this book is really intelligent and really interesting. And it's lessons for us to learn how to become very, very well adept at using our physical telepathy as well as our astral telepathy in order to communicate with each other better and to know what people are doing and also how to use clairvoyance and also mind reading, which is not direct communication, but rather reading what's in someone's mind, thoughts, aura, Um, it's really important, I think, to know how to do this stuff. I don't like to delve into people's minds, especially if they're not aware of it, but I have, uh, delved into people's minds on occasion and I was given uh, a really amazing set of instructions from the Berkeley, uh, there's a, a psychic institute in Berkeley that my, um, this woman that I know, I can't even call her my friend. I don't know her well enough. I'm an acquaintance, I suppose, with her. And I used to take my children to her psychic classes. She used to teach children how to be telepathic and psychic. And my youngest is has always been incredibly um, psychic. Like there was a, a game that we had to, it was kind of like, an updated version of Clue, and it was about spies. And I bought this game over eBay years ago, and I was trying to um, trying to uh, 
play with him and my and my other kid and my other kids like well you know I can use my psychic powers for this but I'm not going to because the last thing I want to do is you know cheat or use my ability to win I just want to win through guessing so you know and so my oldest was able to turn it off when my youngest didn't want to <laughs> so we would shuffle the cards and deal out the cards I would pick up my card and he'd be like, oh, your card says this. And he, every time, for like an hour and a half, we tried to play this game. And for an hour and a half, he guessed every stinking card we had. And so we couldn't play the spy game. And I was so bummed because the spy game was, it it had a clock on it as far as there was one part or one component of the game that you can play using your cell phone, but it was only for two years. And I bought the game a year into this two-year contract with anyone who bought the game, right? And, was, and I'm like, okay, so so you could you could write them, and they will send you additional clues, just like sending you text messages. So while you're doing the course of the game, I'm like, this is one of the coolest games I've ever seen. It was super fun, except for the fact that my youngest ruined it by every five seconds guessing everything that everyone had. And we were like, and he was just showing off his psychic ability, but we were really proud of him, honestly. <laughs> but I was like, oh, we can't play the stupid spy game, man. I mean, back in the day, I went out and I bought like, um, over the course of like a couple of years, I had bought like 20 or 30 board games for my kids. Most of them were Harry Potter related because we were all into the Harry Potter books. We were watching the Harry Potter movies. We owned all the books. We owned the movies. I mean, we were just like fanatics for anything Harry Potter. So, um, so I had all these, I mean, there was like candy making kits. And I mean, there was a game that was similar to Mousetrap, but with the Harry Potter related and it was fun. A lot of them were quiz games. We had card games. I mean, we had 20 or 30 board games, and we used to do that. And we'd make it a point of, at the bare minimum, every Friday we'd play games. And then during the week, we would, and on the weekends, we would try to play more. Um, just so we could grow together as a family, which was really fun. But, um, yeah, so mind reading. This is what... It's funny because back in those days when I was playing the board games, that's when I learned about William Walker Atkinson for the first time. And here you go. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break and read from Swami Panchadasi, a.k.a. William Walker Atkinson. (coughs) And we've, we've only read up until Lesson 5. So tonight... We are going to read Lesson 5, which is called Mind Reading and Beyond. (laughs) And again, this book is Clairvoyance and Occult Powers by Swami Panchadasi, right after this message.
Metaphysical Soul Speak is run on sponsors and listener support. This means listeners like you. If you are so inclined to support my efforts and my little podcast, please visit me at anchor.fm forward slash metaphysical and pledge an amount of your choosing today. Thank you. All right, guys, this is lesson five in clairvoyance and occult powers by <laughs> Swami Panchadasi, <laughs> otherwise known as Shh, William Walker Atkinson. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Might ruin his reputation as a lawyer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> lesson five, mind reading and beyond. The simpler forms of telepathic phenomena have received the name mind reading and by some have been regarded as something not quite within the class of real telepathy. This last impression has been heightened by the fact that there have been offered the public many spectacular exhibitions of pseudo mind reading, that is to say imitation or counterfeit mind reading, in which the result has been obtained by trickery, collusion, (laughs) or clever artifice. But notwithstanding this fact, genuine mind reading is actually a phase of true telepathy. What is generally known as mind reading may be divided into two classes as follows. Number one, where there is an actual physical contact between the projector and the receiver, and two, where there is no actual physical contact, but where there is a close relation in space between the two parties, as in the case of the willing game. In the first class belong all cases in which the projector touches the recipient or at least is connected with him by a material object. In the second class belong those cases in which the recipient seeks to find an object which is being thought of by either a single projector or by a number of persons in the same room. You will notice that both of these classes were omitted from the experiments for the society for psychical research because of the possibility of fraud or collusion. But nevertheless, the student will do well to acquire proficiency in manifesting this form of telepathy, not alone for its own sake, but also because it leads naturally to higher development. In the case of the first class of mind reading, namely that in which actual physical contact is had between the projector and recipient, there has been a disposition on the part of some authorities to explain the whole matter by the theory of unconscious muscular impulse of the projector. But those who have carefully studied the subject and who have themselves performed the feats of this class of mind reading know that there's far more to it than this. 
Those familiar with the subject know that there is a decided transference of thought waves from the projector to the recipient and that the latter actually feels the same as they strike upon his mental receiving apparatus. The whole difference between this and the higher forms of telepathy is that in this, the thought currents generally run along the wires of the nervous system instead of leaping across space between the two persons. It is known to all who have conducted this class of experiments that at times there will be experienced a change or shifting in the transmission of the thought currents. For a time, the thought waves will be felt flowing in along the nerves of the hands and arms when all of a sudden this will cease. And there will be experienced the passage of the current direct from brain to brain. It is impossible to describe this feeling in mere words to those who have never experienced it. But those to whom it has once been manifested will recognize at once just what I mean by this statement. It is a different sensation from any other in the experience of a human being and must actually be experienced to be understood. The nearest analogy I can offer is that feeling experienced by the person when a forgotten name for which he has vainly sought suddenly flashes or leaps into his consciousness. It is felt to come from somewhere outside of the conscious field. Well, in the case of thought current, the feeling is much the same. Only there is a fuller sense of the outsideness of the source of the thought. In order to make you understand the distinction between the two classes of mind reading more clearly, I will say that you may think of one as akin to the ordinary tele telegraphy over wires and of the other as akin to wireless telegraphy. Telegraphy, sorry. Is that like the same thing? Oh, well, with wires and... Okay, if we were going to update that, we will say Wi-Fi where you plug in directly to your modem versus Wi-Fi without plugging your computer into anything. That might be the difference. Mm, updated to a modern thing. Okay. It is the same force in both cases, the difference being simply one of the details of transmission. Fix this idea firmly in your mind, and you'll have no trouble in always having the right conception of any kind of case of mind reading or telepathy. But you must remember there are cases in which there is a combination of both methods of transmission, either simultaneously or else shifting and changing from one to the other. I will here remind the student that he will learn more by half a dozen actual experiments in mind reading than by reading a dozen books on the subject. It is very good to read the books in order to get the correct theory well fixed in mind and also in order to learn the best methods as taught by those who have had a wide experience in the subject. But the real how of the matter is learned only through actual 
experience. So I shall now give you advice and instructions concerning actual experimental work. You, the student, should begin by making yourself a good recipient. That is a good mind reader, allowing others to play the part of projector. Later on, you may play the part of projector if you so desire, but the real fine work is done by the recipient. And for that reason, that is the part you should learn to play by frequent rehearsals. Cool. <laughs> mm. All right, I had to have a sip of tea there. <laughs> uh. I advise you to begin your experiments with friends who are in sympathy with you and who are interested in the subject. Avoid particularly all early experiments with uncongenial or unsympathetic persons. And avoid as you would a pestilence all those who are antagonistic either to yourself or to the general subject of telepathy and kindred subjects as you must make yourself especially sensitive in order to successfully conduct a mind reading test you will find yourself particularly susceptible to the mental attitude of those around you at such times and therefore should surround yourself only with those who are congenial and sympathetic all right you will find that there is a great difference between the several persons whom you quote unquote try out as projectors some will be more on rapport with you than are others who may be equally good friends in in in, in rapport means you know in vibrational harmony when two persons are in rapport with each other they are like two wireless wireless telegraphic instruments perfectly attuned to each other in such cases there are obtained the very best results you soon will learn to distinguish the degree of on rapport or in rapport conditions between yourself and different persons you soon, soon learn to feel this condition. In the beginning, it will be well for you to try several persons, one after the other, in your mind reading experiments in order to pick out the best one and also to learn to feel of the different degrees of the en rapport condition. Even in cases of persons in whom the en rapport conditions are good, it is well to establish a rhythmic unison between you. This is done by both you and the person breathing in rhythmic unison for a few moments. Begin by counting one, two, three, four, like the slow ticking of a large clock. Have the other person join you, join with you in so counting until your minds both work in the same rhythmic time. Then you should have him breathe in unison with you, making a mental count with you at the same time so that you will breathe together. <clears throat> count mentally one, two, three, four as you inhale. The one, two holding the breath and then one, two, three, four, exhaling or breathing out. 
Try this several times and you will find that you have established a rhythmic unison between yourself and the other person. In the progress of an experiment, if you should find that the conditions are not as good as might be desired, you will do well to pause for a few moments and reestablish the proper rhythmic harmony by this method of harmonious rhythmic breathing. Begin by having the projector select some prominent object in the room, a chair or table, for instance. Then have him take your left hand in his right hand. Raise your left hand held in his right hand to your forehead, then close your eyes and remain passive a few moments. Have him concentrate his mind intently on the selected object and will that you should move toward it. Have him think of nothing else except that object and to will you to move toward it with all his power. Close your eyes, quiet your mind, opening your consciousness to every mental impression that he may send you. Instruct him to think not merely chair, for instance, but rather there, go there. The main thought in his mind must be of that direction. He must will that you move toward that chair. After a moment or two, you will begin to feel a vague general impulse to move your feet. Obey the impulse. Take a few slow steps in any direction that seems easy to you. Sometimes this will take you in an opposite direction from that chair, but it will get you going. And you will soon begin to feel that the direction is all wrong and will begin to be mentally pulled in the right direction. You will have to actually experience this feeling before you will fully understand just what I mean. After some little practice, you'll begin to feel quite distinctly the mental direction or will force of the projector, which will seem to tell you to come this way. Now stop. Now turn a little to the right. Turn a little to the left. Now stop where you are. Put out your right hand. Lower your hand. Move your hand a little to the right. That's it. Now you've got it all right. Then you will soon learn to distinguish between the no, that's wrong thought and the that's the right one and between the go on or the come on one. By making yourself completely passive and receptive and obedient to the thought and will impulses of the projector, you will soon act like a ship under the influence of the rudder in the hand of the projector. After you have attained proficiency in receiving the mental impressions and directions, you will find yourself attracted or drawn like a piece of steel to the magnet toward the object selected. It will sometimes seem as if you were being moved to it even against your own will and as if someone else were actually moving your feet for you. Sometimes the impulse will come so strong that you will actually rush ahead of the projector, dragging him along with you instead of having him a little in advance or by your side. 
It's all a matter of practice. You will soon discover the great difference between different projectors. Some of them will be in perfect en rapport condition with you, while others will fail to get into tune with you. Some projectors do not seem to know what's required of them, and usually they will forget to will you to the object. Sometimes it helps to tell them that the whole thing depends upon their willpower and that the stronger their will is, the easier it will be for you to find the thing. This puts them on their metal and makes them use their will more vigorously. You will soon learn to recognize that peculiar feeling of all right that comes when you finally stand in front of the desired object. Then you'll begin to move your right hand up and down and around until you get the feel, the right feel about that also, when you should place your hand on the place which seems to attract you the most. You will find that the hand is just as responsive to the mental force as are the feet. You will soon learn to distinguish between the mental signals up, down, to the right, to the left, stop, you're right, etc. I cannot tell you just the difference. You must learn how to feel them. Soon you're going to become an expert in this. It is like learning to skate, run an automobile, operate a typewriter, or anything else. All a matter of exercise and practice. But it is a Astonishing how rapidly one may learn and how at times one seems to progress by great leaps and bounds. Now I shall give you the different stages or steps which you will do well to follow in your exercises, progressing from the more simple to the more complex. But be sure to thoroughly master the simple ones before you pass on to the more complex one. Be honest and strict with yourself. Make yourself pass the examination before promotion in each and every step. Number one, locations. Begin by finding particular locations in a room, corners, alcoves, doors, etc. Large objects is number two. Then begin to find large objects, such as tables, chairs, bookcases, etc. Number three, small objects. Then proceed to find small objects, such as books on a table, sofa cushions, ornaments, paper knives, etc. Wait, what? what what's a paper knife? What? I'm like so confused right now. Oh, maybe he means letter opener. Is that called a paper knife? What the hell? A paper knife isn't going to do anything. It's not going to cut anything. Okay, moving right along. <clears throat> that was weird. Gradually work down to very small objects, such as scarf pins, articles of jewelry, pocket knives, etc. Well, that's a hell of a lot better than a paper knife. Uh, okay, number four, concealed objects. <laughs> uh, 
Then proceed to find small objects that have been concealed under other objects, such as a pocketbook beneath a sofa cushion, etc., or a key in a book, or a key under a rug, etc. <laughs> That's interesting. Number five, minute objects. Then proceed to discover very small objects, either concealed or else placed in an inconspicuous place, inconspicuous place, such as a pin stuck in the wall, etc., or a small bean under a vase, etc. Very interesting. <laughs> The public performers are mind reading vary the above by <clears throat> sensational combinations, but you will readily see that these are but ingenious arrangements of the above general experiments and that no new principle is involved. As these lessons are designed for serious study and experiment and not for sensational public performances, I shall not enter into this phase of the subject in these pages. The student who understands the general principles and is able to perform the above experiment successfully will have no difficulty in reproducing the genuine feats of the public mind readers by simply using his ingenuity in arranging the stage effects, etc. Among other things, he will find that he will be able to obtain results by interposing a third person between the projector and himself or by using a short piece of wire to connect himself and the projector, drawing pictures on a blackboard or writing out names on a slate by means of thought direction are simply the result of a fine development of the power of finding the small article. The impulse to move the hand in a certain direction comes in precisely the same way. The public driving feats of the professional mind reader are but a more complicated form of the same general principle. The impression of direction once obtained, the rest is a mere matter of detail. The opening of the combination of a safe Though requiring wonderful proficiency on the part of the operator is simply an elaboration of the direction movement. Hmm. Some recipients are, of course, far more proficient than are others, but each and every person, any person of average intelligence will be able to secure more or less proficiency in these experiments provided that patience and practice are employed. There is no such thing as an absolute failure possible to anyone who will proceed intelligently and will practice sufficiently. Sometimes after many discouraging attempts, the whole thing will flash into one's mind at once. And after that, there will be little or no trouble. If, you're un if you are able to witness the demonstrations of some good mind reader, professional, or amateurs, it will help you to catch the knack at once. You will find that these experiments will tend to greatly and rapidly develop your psychic receptivity in the direction of the higher phases of psychic phenomena. You will be surprised to find yourself catching 
flashes or glimpses of higher telepathy or even clairvoyance. I would advise every person wishing to cultivate the higher psychic faculties to begin by perfecting himself or herself in these simpler forms of mind reading. Beside the benefits obtained, the practice proves very interesting and opens many doors to pleasant social entertainment. But never allow the desire for social praise or popularity in these matters to spoil you for serious investigation and experiment. The second step of development. The student, having perfected himself in the experiments along the lines of the first class of mind reading, viz., where there's no actual physical contact between the projector and recipient, but where there's a close relation in space between the two. Now, the thoughtful student will naturally wish to ask a question here, something like this. You've told us that there's no real difference between <clears throat> telepathy at a great distance and that in which there's only the slightest difference in the position of the projector and recipient, providing always that there is no actual physical contact. Mm, this being so, why you're insistent upon the close relation in space just mentioned? What is the reason for this nearness? Well, it's like this. While there is no distinction of space and true telepathy, still, in experiments such as I now shall describe, the physical nearness of the projector enables him to concentrate more forcibly and also gives confidence to the new beginner in receiving mind currents. The benefit is solely that of the psychological effect upon the minds of the two persons and has nothing to do with the actual power of the telepathic waves. It's much easier for a person to concentrate his thought and will upon a person in actual physical sight before him than upon one out of sight. And likewise, the recipient finds himself more confident and at ease when in the actual physical of the person sending the thoughts and willpower. That is all there is to it. When the persons have acquired familiarity with projecting and receiving, then this obstacle is overcome and long distances have no terror for them. The best way for the student to start in on this class of mind reading is for him to experiment occasionally while performing his physical contact mind reading experiments. For instance, while engaging in searching for an object, let him disengage his hand from that of the projector for a moment or so, and then endeavor to receive impressions without contact. This should be done only in private experiments, not public ones. He will soon discover that he is receiving thought impulses in spite of the lack of physical contact. Faint, perhaps, but still perceptible. A little practice of this kind will soon convince him that he is receiving the mental currents direct from brain to brain. This effect will be increased if he arranges to have several persons concentrate their thoughts and willpower upon him during the experiment. From this stage, he will gradually develop into the stage of the willing game. 
The willing game, quite popular in some circles, is played by one person, usually blindfolded, being brought into the room in which a number of persons have previously agreed upon some object to be found by him. Then they concentrate their thought firmly upon the object. The audience should be taught to not only think, but also actively will the progress of the recipient from the start to finish of the hunt. They should will him along each step of his journey and then will his hand to the object itself wherever it be hidden. An adept in receiving in the receiving end of the willing game will be able to perform all of the experiments that I've just pointed out to you in the contact mind reading class. In the willing game, you must remember that there is no taking hold of hands or any other form of physical contact between projector and recipient. The transmission of the mental currents must be direct from brain to brain. Otherwise, the two classes of experiments are almost identical. There is the same willing towards the object on the part of the projectors and the same passive obedience in the recipient. All the difference is that the current now passes over the ether of space, as in the case of the wireless message, instead of over the wires of the nervous system of the two persons. The next step is that of guessing the name of things thought of by the party. I can give you no better directions than those followed by the investigators in, investigator, <laughs> investigators of the Creary children as related in a preceding chapter of this book. When you become sufficiently proficient in this class of mind reading, you should be able to reproduce every experiment there mentioned with at least a fair degree of success. It is all a matter of patience, perseverance, and practice. After you have become very proficient in the class of ex these class, I'm sorry, this class of experiments, you may begin to try experiments at long distance. That is where the projector is out of your physical presence. It makes no difference whether the distance be merely that between two adjoining rooms or else miles of space. At first, however, nearness adds confidence in the majority of cases confidence once gained, the distance may be lengthened indefinitely without impairing the success of the experiments. The long distance experiments may consist either of the receiving of single words, names, etc., or else distinct clear messages or ideas. Some find it no more difficult to reproduce simple geometrical designs such as circles, squares, triangles, etc., than to reproduce words or ideas. In long-distance experiments, it is well for the projector to write down the word or thought he wishes to transmit and for the recipient to write down the impressions he receives. These memoranda will serve as good record of progress and will, moreover, give a scientific value to the experiments. Some experimenters, <clears throat> excuse me, some experimenters have been quite successful in experiments along the lines of automatic writing from living persons. 
produced by means of long-distance telepathy. In these cases, the recipient sits passively at the hour agreed upon for the experiment, and the projector concentrates intently upon a sentence or several sentences, one word at a time, at the same time willing the other person to write the word. The famous investigator of psychic phenomena, the late W.T. Stead, editor of a London newspaper who went down on the Titanic, was very successful in experiments of this kind. His written records of these are very interesting and instructive. You will, of course, understand that in all cases of long-distance telepathic experiments, there should be an understanding between the two persons regarding the time and duration of the experiment so as to obtain the best results. Personally, however, I have known some of some very excellent results in which the receiving of the message occurred several hours after the sending, they're showing that telepathy is in a measure independent of time as well as of space. But as a rule, the best results are obtained when the two persons sit simultaneously. Do not rest content with accepting the reports of others regarding these things. Try them for yourself. You will open up a wonderful world of new experiences for yourself. But remember, always, you must proceed step by step, perfecting yourself at each step before proceeding to the next. Lesson 6 in Clairvoyance and Occult Powers by Swami Panchadasi. The word clairvoyance means clear seeing. In its present usage, it covers a wide field of psychic phenomena and is used by different writers to designate phases of psychic phenomena differing widely from each other. The student is apt to become confused when he meets these apparently conflicting definitions and usages. In the Glossary of the Society for Psychical Research, the term is defined as the faculty or act of perceiving as though visually with some coincidental truth, some distant scene. It is used sometimes but hardly properly for transcendental vision or the perception of beings regarded as on another plane of existence. Mrs. Henry Sidgwick, a distinguished writer on the subject of psychic phenomena, in one of her reports to the Society for Psychical Research says, the word clairvoyant is often used very loosely and with widely different meanings. I denote it by a faculty of acquiring supernormally, but not by reading the minds of persons present, a knowledge of facts such as we normally acquire by the use of our senses. I do not limit it to knowledge that would normally be acquired by the sense of sight, nor do I limit it to a knowledge of present facts. 
a similar knowledge of the past and, if necessary, of future facts may be included. On the other hand, I exclude the mere faculty of seeing apparitions or visions, which is sometimes called clairvoyance. The above definitive explanation of the term clairvoyance agrees with the idea of the best authorities and distinguishes between the phenomena of clairvoyance and that of telepathy on the one hand and between the former and that of seeing apparitions on the other hand. I personally accept this distinction as both scientific in form and as agreeing with the facts of the case. You will, of course, see that the acceptance of the existence of the astral senses throws light on many obscure points about which the psychic researchers are in doubt and reconciles many apparently opposing facts. All scientific authorities as well as the best occultists divide the phenomena of clairvoyance into several well-distinguished classes. The following classification is simple and indicates clearly the principal forms of clairvoyant phenomena. Number one, simple clairvoyance, in which the clairvoyant person merely senses the auric emanations of other persons, such as auric vibrations or colors, etc., currents of thought vibration, etc., but does not see the events or scenes removed in space or time from the observer. Number two, clairvoyance in space, in which the clairvoyant person senses scenes and events removed in space from the observer, and often also is able to sense such things even when they are concealed or obscured by intervening material objects. Number three, clairvoyance in time, in which the clairvoyant person senses scenes and events which have had their original place in past time, or scenes and events which will have their original place in the future. I shall describe each of these three classes with their many variations as we reach them in their proper places in these lessons. Before doing so, however, I wish to explain to you the several methods by which the clairvoyant vision usually is induced. These methods may be designated as follows. Number one, psychometry, or the method of getting in rapport with the astral plane by means of some physical object connected with the person, thing, or scene about which you desire to be informed. Two, crystal gazing, etc., or the method of getting in rapport with the astral plane by means of gazing into a crystal or magic mirror, etc. Number three, clairvoyant reverie or the method of getting in rapport with the astral plane by means of psychic states in which the sights sounds and thoughts of the material and physical plane are shut out of consciousness 
I shall now proceed to give details regarding each one of these great classes of methods inducing clairvoyant vision or en rapport conditions with the astral plane. Psychometry. Psychometry is that form of clairvoyant phenomena in which the clairvoyant gets into en rapport relation with the astral plane by means of connecting link of material objects, such as a bit of stone, piece of hair, article of wearing apparel, etc., which has had previous associations with the thing, person, or scene regarding which clairvoyant vision is required. Without going into technical occult explanations, I would say that the virtue of these articles consists entirely of their associative value. That is to say, they carry in them certain vibrations of past experience which serve as a connecting link or associated filament with the thing to which is sought to be brought into the field of the clairvoyant vision. To reach clairvoyantly a thing, a scene, a person in this way is akin to the unwinding of a ball of yarn when you hold the loose end in your hand. Or it is like giving a keen-scented dog a sniff at a handkerchief, once carried by the person whom you wish him to nose out for you. A well-known authority on the subject of psychic phenomena has said on this point, the untrained clairvoyant usually cannot find any particular astral picture when it is wanted without some special link to put him in rapport with the subject required. Psychometry is an instance in point. It seems as though there were some sort of magnetic attachment or affinity between any particle of matter and the record which contains it, its history, an affinity which enables it to act as a kind of conductor between that record and the faculties of anyone who can read it. For instance, I once brought from Stonehenge a tiny fragment of stone not larger than a pin's head, and on putting this into an envelope and handing it to a psychometer who had no idea what it was, she at once began to describe that wonderful ruin and the desolate country surrounding it, and then went on to vividly picture what were evidently scenes from its early history, showing that the infin infinitesimal fragment had been sufficient to put her into communication with the records connected with the spot from which it came. The scenes through which we pass in the course of our life seem to act in the way upon the cells of our brain, as did the history of Stonehenge upon that par particle of stone. They establish a connection with those cells by means of which our mind is put in rapport with that particular portion of the records, so we remember what we have seen. One of the simplest, most common forms of psychometry is that in which the psychometrist is able to tell the physical condition of a person by means of holding to the forehead or even in the hand some trinket or small article, such as a handkerchief 
recently worn on the person of the individual regarding whom the information is sought. In the case of some very sensitive psychometrists, the psychic person takes on the condition of the other person whose former article of clothing, trinket, etc. she is holding. She will often actually experience the physical pain and distress of the person and will be able to indicate from what ailment the person is suffering. Some persons attain great proficiency in this direction and are a great assistance to wise physicians who avail themselves of their services. Some successful physicians themselves possess this faculty well-developed and use it to great advantage, though, as a rule, they keep very quiet about it from fear of creating unfavorable comment from their fellow physicians and from the general public who quote unquote, do not believe in such tomfoolery. <laughs> A step further is the power of some psychometrists to correctly describe the personal characteristics and even the past history of persons with whom they come in contact or whose associated article they have in their hands. Some very remarkable instances of this phase of psychometry are related in the books containing the history of clairvoyance. An interesting case is that related by Zsocki, Z-S-C-H-O-K-K-E. Zsocki, 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 the eminent German writer. Okay. Who, <laughs> who relates in his autobiography his wonderful experience in this direction? Listen to the story in his own words. It has happened to me occasionally at the first meeting of a total stranger when I have been listening in silence to his conversation that his past life up to the present moment with many minute circumstances belonging to one or other particular scene in it has come across me like a dream, but distinctly, entirely involuntary and unsought, occupying in duration a few minutes. For a long time, I was disposed to consider these fleeting visions as a trick of the fancy. The, and the more so as my dream vision displayed to me the dress and movements of the actors, appearance of the room, furniture, and other accidents of the scene. Till on one occasion in a gamesome mood, <laughs> I narrated to my family the secret history of a seamstress who had just quitted the room. I never had seen the person before. Nevertheless, the hearers were astonished and laughed and would not be persuaded, but that I had a previous acquaintance with the former life of that person, inasmuch as what I had stated was perfectly true. I was not less astonished to find that my dream vision agreed with reality. I then gave more attention to the subject, and as often as propriety allowed it, I related to those whose lives had so passed before me the substance of my dream vision to obtain from them its contradiction or confirmation. On every occasion, its confirmation followed not without amazement on the part of those who gave it. 
On a certain fair day, I went into the town of Waldshut, accompanied by two young foresters who are still alive. <laughs> Not anymore, buddy. <laughs> Sorry, back to the book. <laughs> it was evening and tired with our walk. <laughs> we went into an inn called The Vine. We took our supper with a numerous company at the public table. When it happened that they made themselves merry over peculiarities of the Swiss in connection with the belief in mesmerism. Lavater's physiognomical system and the like. One of my companions whose national pride was touched by their raillery begged me to make some reply, particularly in answer to a young man of superior appearance who sat opposite and had indulged in unrestrained ridicule. It happened that the events of this person's life had just previously passed before my mind. I turned to him with the question whether he would reply to me with truth and candor. If I narrated, if I narrated to him the most secret passages of his history. <laughs> shady, shady, shady. <laughs> he being as little known to me as I to him. That would, I suggested, go be something beyond Lavatar's physiognomical skill. He promised that if I told the truth, he would admit it openly. <laughs> then I narrated the events with which my dream vision had furnished me, and the table learned the history of the young tradesman's life, of his school years, his peccadillos. <laughs> what the flock is that? His peccadillos looking that up later <laughs> and finally of a little act of roguery committed by him on the strong box of his employer mm. I described the uninhabited room with its white walls where to the right of the brown door there had stood upon the table the small money chest etc the man much struck admitted the correctness of each circumstance even which I could not expect of the last the above incident is typical of this class of psychometry, and many persons have at least had flashes of this phase of the power. The only remarkable thing about this particular case is its faithfulness regarding details. This shows a very fine development of the astral sense. The feature that makes it psychom psych psychometric, psychometric, instead of pure clairvoyance, is that the presence of the other person was necessary to produce the phenomenon. A bit of clothing would probably have answered as well. Joki does not seem to have been able to manifest time clairvoyance independent of the presence of the person concerned. He needs the associated link or loose end of the psychic ball of yarn. Next in order in the list of the phenomena of psychometry is that in which the psychometrist is able to describe a distant scene by means of a bit of mineral, plant, or similar object once located at that place. 
In such cases, the psychometrist gets in rapport with the distant scene by means of the connecting link mentioned. Having obtained this, he is able to relate the events that are happening on that scene at that particular moment. Some very interesting cases are mentioned in which the psychometrist has been able to spy in on a certain place by means of some small article which has recently been located in that place. For instance, I once gave a young psychometrist a pen holder from the office of a lawyer, a friend of mine, located 800 miles from the psychometrist. She gave a perfect picture of the interior of the office, the scene across the street visible from the office window, and certain events that were happening in the office at that moment, which were verified by careful inquiry as to persons and time. Every occultist or investigator of psychic phenomena has experienced many cases of this kind. Another phase of psychometry is that in which the psychometer is able to sense the conditions existing underground by means of a piece of mineral or metal which originally was located there. Some wonderful instances of psychometric discernment of minds, etc., have been recorded. In this phase of psychometry, all that is needed is a piece of the coal, mineral, or metal which has come from the mine. Following up this psychic lead, the psychometrist is able to describe the veins or strata of the surrounding land, although they have not yet been uncovered or discovered. Ooh. <laughs> Gives one ideas, does it not? Still another form of psychometric, psycho, <sighs> psychometry, psychometric, okay, still another form of psychometric discernment is that in which the psychometrist gets in rapport with the past history of an object or of its surroundings by means of the object itself. In this way, the psychometrist holding in his hand or pressing to his head a bullet from a battlefield is able to picture the battle itself or given a piece of ancient pottery or stone implement, the psychometrist is able to picture the time and peoples connected with the object in the past, sometimes after many centuries are past. Wow. I once handed a good psychometrist a bit of ornament taken from an Egyptian mummy over 3,000 years old. Though the psychometrist did not know what the object was or from whence it had come, she's able to picture not only scenes in which the Egyptian had lived, but also the scenes connected with the manufacture of the ornament some 300 years before that time, for it turned out that the ornament itself was an antique when the Egyptian had acquired it. Oh, wow. In another case, I had the psychometrist describe in detail the animal life and the physical phenomena of the age in which a fossil had existed when alive many thousands of years ago. In the proper place in this book, 
I will explain just how it's possible to penetrate the secrets of the past by psychometric vision. That is to say, the psychic laws making the same possible. Some of the most remarkable of recorded instances of this form of psychometry known to the Western world are those related in the works of a geology geologist named Denton, who some 50 years ago conducted a series of investigations into the phenomena of psychometry. His recorded experiments fill several volumes. Being a geologist, he was able to select the best subjects for the experiments and also to verify and decide upon the accuracy of the reports given by the psychometrists. His wife herself was a gifted psychometrist and it has been said of her by good authority that, quote, she is able by putting a piece of matter, whatever be its nature, to her head to see either with her eyes open or closed all that the piece of matter, figuratively speaking, ever saw, heard, or experienced. The following examples will give a good idea of the Denton experiments, which are typical of this class of psychometry. Dr. Denton gave the psychometrist a small fragment broken from a large meteorite. She held it in her head and reported, This is curious. There is nothing at all to be seen. I feel as if I were in the air, not in the air either, but in nothing, in no place. I'm utterly unable to describe it. It seems high. However, I feel as though I were rising and my eyes were carried upward. And, but as I look around in vain, there's nothing to be seen. I see clouds now, but nothing else. There are so close to me that I seem to be in them. My head, neck, and eyes are affected. My eyes are carried up and I cannot roll them down. Now the clouds appear lighter and lighter and look as though sunlight would burst through them. As the clouds separate, I can see a star or two, then the moon instead of the sun. The moon seems near, looks coarse and rough, paler and larger in size than I ever saw it before. What a strange feeling comes over me. It appears as if I were going right to the moon, and it looks as if the moon were coming to me. It affects me terribly. Dr. Denton adds, she was much too affected to continue the experiment any longer. Had this aerolite at some period of his history come within the sphere of the moon's attraction and had its velocity so increased that its augmented centrifugal, centrifugal, centrifugal force had carried it off into space again whence drawn by the superior attractive force of the earth it had suddenly followed, fallen and ended its career forever at another time Dr. Denton tested the psychometrist with a whalebone walking cane she supposed it to be wood but when she began to report her psychic impressions they came as follows I feel as though I were a monster. There's nothing of a tree about it, and it is useless for me to go further. I feel like vomiting. Now I want to plunge into the water. 
I believe that I'm going to have a fit. My jaws are large enough to take down a house at a gulp. I know now what this is. It's whalebone. I see the insides of the whale's mouth. It has no teeth. It has a slimy look, but I only get a glimpse of it. Now I see the whole animal. Oh, what an awful looking creature. Judgmental much? Okay, sorry. Moving on. Another time, Dr. Denton gave the psychometrist a minute piece of the enamel of the tooth of a mastodon. (laughs) He really likes messing with his wife, doesn't he? Which had been found 30 feet below the surface of the earth. The psychometrist had not the slightest knowledge of the character of the tiny flake of enamel handed her, but nevertheless reported, My impression is that it is part of some monstrous animal, probably part of a tooth. I feel like a perfect monster, heavy legs, unwieldy head, and a very large body. I shall go into a shallow stream to drink. I can hardly speak. My jaws are so heavy. I feel like game down on all fours. What a noise comes through the woods. I have an impulse to answer it. My ears are very large and leathery, and I can almost fancy they flap in my face as I move my head. There are some older ones than I. It seems so out of keeping to be talking with these heavy jaws. They are dark brown as if they have been completely tanned. There's one old fellow with large tusks that looks very tough. I can see several younger ones. In fact, there's a whole herd. My upper lip moves curiously. I can flap it up. It seems strange to me how this is done. There is a plant growing here higher than my head. It is nearly as thick as my wrist, very juicy, sweet, and tender. Something like green corn in taste, but sweeter. It's not the taste it would have to a human being. Oh no, it is sickenish and very unpleasant to the human taste. These instances might be multiplied indefinitely, but the principle is the same in each. In my own experience, I gave a small piece from the Great Pyramid of Egypt to a psychometrist who was uneducated and knew nothing of ancient Egypt or its history. Notwithstanding this, she gave me such a detailed, complete account of the life of ancient Egypt, which was in such complete accordance with the opinions of the best authorities that I would hesitate about publishing the report, for it certainly would be regarded as rank imposture by this average scientific authority. Someday, however, I I may publish this. There are no special directions to be given the student in psychometry. All that can be done is to suggest that each person should try the experiments for himself in order to find out whether he has or has not the psychometric psychometric faculty. It may be developed by the methods that will be given to develop all psychic powers in another part of this book. But much will depend upon actual practice and exercise. Take strange objects and, sitting in a quiet room with the object held to your forehead, shut out all thoughts of the outside world and forget all personal affairs. In a short time, if the conditions are right, you will begin to have flashes of scenes connected with the history of the object. 
at first rather disconnected and more or less confused, there will soon come to you a clearing away of the scene, and the pictures will become quite plain. Practice will develop the power. Practice only when alone or when in the presence of some sympathetic friend or friends. Always avoid discord and inharmonious company when practicing psychic powers. The best psychometrists usually keep the psychic eyes closed when practicing their power. You have doubtless heard the sensing of sealed letters spoken of as clairvoyance, but this is merely one form of psychometry. The letter is a very good connecting medium in psychometric experiments. I advise you to begin your experiments with old letters. You will be surprised to discover how readily you will begin to receive psychic impressions from the letters, either from the person who wrote them or from the place in which they were written or from someone connected with subsequent history. One of the most interesting experiments I ever witnessed in psychometry was a case in which a letter had been forwarded from place to place until it had gone completely around the globe, was psychometrized, psychometrized by a young Hindu maiden. Although ignorant of the outside world, she was able to picture the people and the scenery in every part of the globe in which the letter had traveled. Her report was really an interesting travelogue of a trip around the world given in tabloid form. You may obtain some interesting results in psychometrizing old letters, but always be conscientious about it and refrain from divulging the secrets that will become yours in the course of these experiments. Be honorable on the astral plane as well as on the physical, more so rather than less. And that's it. So concludes lesson six in clairvoyance and occult powers by William Walker Atkinson, otherwise known as Swami Panchadasi. <laughs> All right, guys, that's it. I don't really have much to add to this. This is an extremely interesting book. I'm excited to keep going in it. I think, um, from the looks of it, we're like about a third of the way through. Earlier, I said it was 400 pages long, but that's not true. It's the Spirits book that's about 429 pages long. And we're reading that one every Monday. So, I mean, we might be reading that one through December. <laughs> I can only read two chapters at a time because they're so long. But um, this one, too, I, I can only read two lessons at a time. But I hope this is helping you guys. I hope that you're going to be very, very psychic soon. And that you could do a wide variety of psychic um, uh, things, you know, that you have a wide variety of psychic abilities. Psychometry, holding an object in your hand, or reading somebody else's mind, or having clairvoyance, which is a picture in your mind of something that has happened in the future or the past or something going on right now. I did want to say uh, one note about this um, with psychometry as far as like if someone gives you a teeny tiny piece of a pyramid or of um, like Stonehenge or something like that, 
any or anything in, at all when you're touching something and you gain an impression there are twin particles that are theorized about and talked about and they've discovered the reality of this twin particles are when two particles that were in relationship with each other and then they're moved when one changes the other one automatically changes in the same exact way and that is a scientific fact that that's real now what I think is you could use twin particle theory loosely to apply it to the idea of psychometry and you can maybe see that this is a real science versus you know supernatural or just a fake imagining you know uh, the more that you learn about quantum mechanics and quantum physics and the more you learn about this stuff, the more you're going to go, huh, actually there are many, many connections between the quote unquote occult and actual science, but the higher sciences, you know, biology isn't going to explain this very readily, but quantum mechanics actually will. So that was my biggest note from this. I'm excited to read this every week. This is such a good book. And so it's so intense. And then the stories, the antidote, antidotes, not antidotes, and anecdotes. Sorry. <laughs> I had to go in my A file in my brain and I just pulled out the wrong word there. <laughs> anyway, um, well, that's it for tonight. I, I want to actually... Remind you guys to please get in your stories, whether they're yours or from someone you know in your family, about Santa Claus coming up for the Christmas special I want to do, and any stories you have about ghosts, spiritual or otherwise, just any supernatural paranormal event. Have you ever stayed in a haunted house or a haunted hotel on purpose? Did you have an experience there? I want to relay that to my audience because Metaphysical Ghost Speak is coming up rather quickly, I might add. So that is going to be very, very, very soon. So if you have any spooky, creepy, pasta-style stories that will curl people's toes or hair <laughs> when they listen to it. If it's going to give people goosebumps, we want to hear it for our very special ghost story night coming up on October 31st. So, and also if you have any Christmas miracles, Diwali miracles, um, any Hanukkah miracles, or any miracles surrounding St. Nicholas, jolly old St. Nick, anything about Santa Claus, that's what we want to hear. Okay, that's it. That's it for now. I am now <laughs> officially, well, first of all, thank you for being on this ascension journey with me and for listening to my show and for promoting it and telling other people who will be like-minded and be interested in this stuff. Thank you for basically just passing it along, sharing it with all your Facebook groups, etc. I wanted to thank you for that. 
All right. I love each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a listener. And a lot of you are becoming friends. And I want to thank you for that too. All right. That's it. I'm signing off with peace and joy and the high vibes of the holy fifth dimension. Until next time, guys. Peace. Do you ever wish you could look into the next chapter in your book of life and see what's coming next? What does the universe have in store for you? I can help you with that. I will give you a Celtic cross reading, which is 10 cards, or you can ask me three questions and I use three cards per question. So that's nine cards or I can channel your higher guidance or maybe God directly for you. Maybe you want to talk to your dear departed Aunt Edna because maybe you have a few questions and she was the smartest person you knew. If your deceased relatives are available or your ascended masters, I can channel them for you personally. Let me have one hour to show you the future in your next chapter of your book of life. Readings are $75 and it takes me an hour to an hour and a half to complete. And for this price, you will also be hooked up to the healing grid around the planet for free, which means yours truly, me, I will be giving you Reiki 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of your life. All you have to do is let me know. Metaphysicalsoulspeak at gmail.com and we will explore your future together.